You're listening to. And you're listening to the Collabcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. And welcome to episode 160 of the Collab Cast. My name is Mervyn Yue. I'm Mindy Chang. And we are your hosts for this weekly look at pop culture in Asian America. And it is Friday, February the 23rd, 2018. On this episode, we're doing something a little bit different. And we're bringing a remote interview that we had with um, playwright Lauren Yi and uh, one of our friends, good friends and former collaboration alum, Jane Louie. Uh, about a play that they've been working on called Cambodian Rock Band. Uh, we're going to talk about Asian Americans on stage. And it's a great time to be Asian American on stage right now. We have three amazing plays going on in Southern California. We have Viet Gone in San Diego. We have Cambodian Rock Band starting up at South Coast Rep. And we have Allegiance, which just started previews this week. Disclaimer, this em- this episode will be inundated by coughs. <laughs> Um, we are coming at you on separate sides of Los Angeles today. Um, I am recording from my home in San Gabriel, California, and Minji is up in the valley because she is under um, quarantine. Yeah. She is not allowed to come anywhere near her coworkers because she has Especially Marvin. Plague. I actually really appreciate that. He put his foot down. He's like, I don't want to get sick. Stay away from me. <laughs> like, I respect that, Marvin. I'm trying to like brand myself as like I'm a I'm a super worker. I must commit and come into the office whether I'm dying or not. But you're like, no, you're a hazard. <laughs> That's the thing, right? Like we're trained to like power through things because we have that that like American can do spirit and that immigrant grit that like in our minds, I can do work during code, right? And you go to work and you get everyone else sick. And you know who pays the price? Yeah. Your bosses. It's not very good on a public health standpoint. I was uh, educated by one of the top universities in the country <laughs> not to do that. But you can't unculture me, damn it. I mean, um, big picture-wise, yeah, it's it's, you, you actually um, lose more productivity by coming to work while sick because you get everyone else sick. So to- The data doesn't lie, y'all, but... <laughs> Our stubbornness prevails. To all you stubborn people No, it's like straight up, if, you don't, if you're not dying, like, you show up and you, you follow through. There's a whole, like, bleeding, ble- nosebleed thing in Korean culture. It's like, once you hit the nosebleed point, you're like, oh, maybe I should scale it back a smidge. <laughs> or, no, it's more like, no, I got to fight through this. I'm not weak. I remember my first job, I was literally working until I got diagnosed with pneumonia. And then my doctor was like, how are you working right. while your lung is like literally disintegrating before your eyes? I'm like, uh, I didn't it's like, know. like, you don't know the blood that runs in my veins. I really, we are stronger. I really wanted those vacation days. <laughs> I really wanted to save them. <laughs> oh, my God. My pr- I will vacation on my deathbed, apparently. <laughs> no, but this one's scary because like I don't have the flu, but everyone else... There's like some does, sort of super apparently. flu going around. It's been like just like straight up killing a bunch of people around. Yeah, that's the a US. little bit scary. 
Yeah, so fine. Hopefully, you're getting better. I watched this really. Um, you, you know why I'm so like up on this public health thing because I just watched an NPR um short video explaining how even if you don't feel contagious, you're still contagious. You is contagious. <laughs> that that is so real. And also, I can't diet because I haven't watched Black Panther yet. So I have my priorities in That's order. That's true. I will guarantee myself. <laughs> well, let's get into. I might infect everyone in the Black Panther movie. Theater. Well, let's get into it. It's um, let's get into our pop culture news and roundtable. And it's not necessarily Asian American, but the biggest news is. Black Panther crushed it. And we did promise we'd give our hot takes, even though you haven't seen it yet. Um, but Black Panther crushed it at the box office, making over 200, I think 219 million in its first weekend. And That's like, domestic, right? Because globally, it, it crushed 300 million. I think it's moving towards 520 million um, today. Okay, damn. Okay, my yeah. bad. And people, Can't keep up. people claim that black don't travel and all this other bullshit that like you buy into to keep you know to keep the the minorities down but like mm-hmm. man that is a good good yeah. movie it's no, so good this my, is what i've my, been saying about um about art we say that all the time that it it it, it speaks it's you know i don't know it it's uh i'm sorry cloudy brain but we'll we'll persevere don't worry um i just feel like good art can it can overcome anything. You put a barrier in front of it. And if it's something that speaks to people, um, man, yeah, we're just seeing that with this. That's why I haven't even watched it yet. And yet I am feeling its power. It's like um, there's something to be said about watching a movie where the white characters only exist to get dunked on. <laughs> like... Every single major character like is played by a black person. Like the, the the tech geek is a black person. The warrior is a black person. Like the only white people there is like the sidekick and like the minor bad guy. And it is people are always afraid. Oh, wouldn't that feel weird? Because like you can't relate to anyone but white people, right? But you, no, it's not weird at all. In fact, it's f- super refreshing. I mean, the only other time I felt this way was when. We um, was watching a test screening of Crazy Rich Asians, which I can't talk much about, but like that, like it's the same feeling. It was like, this is how <laughs> movies could have been this entire time. Well, everyone has been saying it. It's just who's been listening, yeah. right? I feel like that's the that's what's really changed, and I'm grateful for it. And yes, it feels absolutely maddening because I think people enter this conversation or this type of understanding at different points, and I try not to hold it against people. I'm really just trying to. <laughs> the hippie in me is just like, just be grateful that they came around, man. Right? <laughs> yeah. Just be like, just be glad. But then at the same time, it's like, really, really, like <laughs> it took you this long. Damn it! We, you know how much cool shit we could have been doing by now. But it's fine. Yeah. But also not. But <laughs> whatever. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to be a peacemaker, but it's frustrating as hell because it's just like. What does it take? And there's still people who are not convinced, right? Like, yeah. like oh, well, it's because of this. <laughs> Did you see someone was tweeting about what if um, we created a superhero from a magical kingdom based off a Scandinavian legend? If we did that, people would call it racist. And like the reply was, that's Thor. You made three of those movies. <laughs> Isn't that like Lord of the Rings too? <laughs> <laughs> like everything? Yeah. Isn't like everything? Oh, I, don't know. I mean, let's not let the haters get us down because let's celebrate this like amazing piece of pop culture that is not only an awesome 
superhero movie, but one with like a compelling villain. The one that wears its politics on its sleeve and one that just, um, I'm excited to hear what you think about it because um, I know you and I, we look for different things in these blockbuster movies and I'm really interested to hear what your your takes on it um, next week. You know what? I just got to say two things, two things that you have inspired me to say. One thing is I think the haters, um, we're so used to the haters that maybe we were like seeking out. I'm just like recognizing this in myself. I'm curious. It's like, how who's saying like that stuff like oh if we did a bunch of scandinavians like that's just you know the trolls right i kind of don't feel like that's a relevant i mean i'm sure it exists i'm not saying that but like i feel like the the response to this movie has been overwhelmingly positive from a lot of different fronts so i feel like if we're trying to find the annoying obnoxious stupid you know cliche roll your eyes racist (laughs) nonsense it's out there but i feel like the feeling i get the vibe i'm getting is that people are pretty much unanimously agreeing that this is just a great movie it's very powerful it's powerful and its impact is powerful in its art um and it's inspiring a lot of different people across the board so i'm I'm glad (laughs) that the overarching conversation is just about that yeah um and secondly i'm i'm grateful because the things that i've learned honestly through this podcast because you and i've duked it out over different things it's really cool to to know how differently you can appreciate the same thing um and we know that that's like a cliche that's true but you and i've differed vastly on like how we interpret things right and it can be just because like you're Chinese, I'm Korean, and, and like, I'm female, you're male. You're from, from the, the Bay, Bay from, LA, from LA, whatever. Yeah. yeah, like, it's really different. Like, Black Panther, to me, the title itself means something different. Because I grew up in the Bay, and that's, you know, Oakland is, Oakland, Berkeley is the birthplace of the Black Panther movement. Um, yeah, and Oakland plays a huge role in this it. movie, too. I can't wait. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, the, these perspectives, I just like, it's so beautiful to see how everybody has a different touch point with it. And just in general, I appreciate how we can have different views and that it's for the bettering of conversation, not for like, <laughs> oh, well, I look at it this way. So it is a little unfair how good these people look on screen, though. Like when Michael B. Jordan takes off his shirt, my girlfriend gave a sound I've never heard before. And it was very, very sad. <laughs> Marvin. I mean, I'm your wing woman, man. <laughs> I'm here to like support you and... Man, you know, everyone can be that. Just got to bring out your inner Michael B. Jordan. That's all. He's in, <laughs> he's there to inspire Marv, not to tear down. He also put a really funny tweet about anime today. Did you see that? That is what's on my mind. Like, what I'm excited about is like, I fell down a uh-huh. hole just like Michael B. Jordan anime because apparently he's a huge anime fan. He loves like Naruto and Dragon Ball, and that is the most awesome thing in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> He is a cool I'm not even an anime, but that made me feel special. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I felt seen, even though I don't watch that shit. There was a picture of him, I guess. He was doing an interview, and he was supposed to write down, like, what his guilty pleasure is. And he had written out anime, crossed it out, and wrote women. Nice. <laughs> so you see he where his head's cutie. at. But I'm so excited to see that he and, like, Ryan Coogler are, like, the Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese or the Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese of like the current era because they can do no wrong. Like Fruitvale Station. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Creed and now Black Panther. They're like three for three together. And it's, 
I'm excited to see where. I mean, they first go of all, can thing. you believe that that's Ryan Coogler's third movie? Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Do you know what kind of like ridiculous quantum leaping bolt? Like, what is that? You know what I mean? You go from like <laughs> the indie film that's at Sundance and then, okay, Creed. And now you're going to get what? Oscar nominations? And like, okay, we're going to just do the the movie that obliterates the whole world and all box office records. <laughs> and we and, can't, and, oh yeah, we, we can't talk about Ryan Coogler without talking about significant production, which, you know, gave him that chance uh, run by Forrest Whitaker yep. and Nina Yang Bon Jovi, an Asian American woman who has made it like a career of finding these amazing people of color directors and producers and writers and like creating magic on screen making them seen seeing them that's it you just need somebody <laughs> saying like that's dope let's make that yeah that like i don't know that conversation is really great because you know for those of you who are not in the hollywood scene i've actually been talking about this a couple of people reached out to me on linkedin but i had a full-blown like hour conversation with one of these individuals who is a marketing like you know executive or something out in in new york and he's like completely out of the asian american and entertainment media stratosphere but something he cares about you know like he's <laughs> he's about our age i think and like um he just wanted to know how he can get more involved so like we had this full-blown conversation because he's out there in like the tech and corporate world out in new york city and he doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes so i feel like that's what i appreciate about our podcast to be able to sit down with different people for you and me to share what we learn constantly yeah um the big thing that's being pushed you know we've always been about the talent and getting people who play the roles like the in front of camera people the the talented players right for them to get their shine and to be in front and to build visibility but man i feel like that conversation continues to transform because really it's about not really it's about in addition to that it's also very very much about the decision makers right it's about people who say yeah this is a great story this is a great script let's back this with money let's get some legit casting around this let's get some costume and makeup you know what i mean like yeah. that has nothing to do with the talent the talent is one component <laughs> but it's not the entirety that's a that's a great amazing segue to our next big story which has been um, going oh, you're around welcome. i didn't mean to do that <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was going around the internet it was um netflix announced its new um original movie called the outsider starring jared leto um, about a um, white man who joins the Yakuza and Yakuza is better than the Yakuza. It's just like, speaking of like getting these amazing new fresh stories out, Hollywood's still at its old tricks. They're still like, hmm, this is a story as old as time. White man goes to Asia like, and, and becomes a better Asian than the Asians there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, oh, I still need to see this trailer. And like, that's one. And number two is just the fact that like Jared Leto's already kind of like he's kind of already stepped in this once before when he won an Oscar for playing a trans woman. Granted, it was like a good performance, but it's become like a Scarlett Johansson thing where like they're the first people Hollywood thinks of for these roles that should be going to at the very least like you know maybe someone of color. Like it doesn't have to be a white dude. Um, there's like stories about the African diaspora in Japan or. Even like a Asian American, like a Japanese American from World War Two, that ends up back in Japan or something like. It's right. There's there are well, that's a fun. It, it's it, it's all the layers that we always have to kind of peel back because I agree with that. And like on the whole Dallas Buyers Club thing, he did do a phenomenal performance, and that's where like the actor side of me gets a little like 
not like I don't defend him, but I'm like, that was a really hard role. And I think he did a, he did a great job. And then of course it's going to ruffle feathers and I'm not defending him per se, but like it's tough as an actor. Like your job is to play all different kinds of roles. And sometimes the part of being the artist is to like step into something that is completely outside of yourself. And then playing that role is kind of one of the joys of acting. Um, And that's just where the whole, whole art versus the politics come into play. Right. Like, yeah, the correctness. Um, so I, I don't know how to speak on that sometimes. The part of me that knows the industry and just like how difficult it is to get something greenlit, how many different scripts and projects and names and celebrities, XYZ, all these different factors will get thrown into the mix of like what some a, a, a platform like Netflix is going to throw down whatever X millions of dollars to create, right? Yeah. On that side, like I'm glad that this is happening because – Jared Leto being the front person, yeah, he's the gateway. He's the known celebrity, Oscar winner, you know, XYZ guy. And it's honestly, for I'm really happy because there are actual Japanese actors in this. And it'll make them famous. <laughs> or it'll, you know, it's giving them roles that they can actually shine in and play well. So, like, that part of me, it's it's such a, you know. That's the two hope. Step, <laughs> I just, two steps forward, one step back. That's the hope, right? But I feel like it's so frustrating because Netflix has done a good job at this. Like, they've shown that they can yeah. be progressive and woke. And, like, they have programs that give, like, minorities shine. Like, Luke, Luke Cage about a black superhero in um, Harlem. Um, Jessica Jones about a superpowered woman who's also a victim of abuse, um, standing up to her abuser. Like there's, they've done really great stories, but they've also dropped the ball so many times too. I don't know. First, like I'm focusing on the win here, which is that there's going to be a bunch <laughs> of Japanese American, Japanese and Japanese American actors who get a substantial shot yeah. being in a Netflix series, right? Or a movie. And hopefully getting a chance to be seen and get shine right yeah and that like we do like those that's a big imdb credit to help green light the next project yeah and then i'm also kind of like okay so you're messing up again and it becomes more obvious that each time that it happens right (laughs) so as much as it's annoying you just got to kind of step back and be like okay go ahead yeah Oh. Just, just, just watch it. And you're like, all right. The outsider wasn't the only um, story of whitewashing this week. There's also um, the story coming out about the new movie Annihilation by the director of Ex Machina, starring Natalie Portman. And it came out. You know, it's based on a series of books. And in the book, um, the main character, character Natalie Portman plays, isn't given an ethnicity until the second book mm. when when it comes out that she's Asian. And so they got into a little bit of hot water because um, people found out that Natalie Portman's character is supposed to be Asian. And I think the response has been that they're, they they are bothered that they didn't know about it beforehand, even though they could have, you know, read ahead. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's on, that's on the casting, right? That's on the, I don't know. There's like, this is still a part that could have gone to one of many upcoming Asian actresses that we lost again because when people think of Hollywood leading women in a sci-fi, like when people think of a leading woman, they don't think of an Asian woman, and I think that's that's what happened here, and it, it's a bummer. Yep. Well, would they 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 just need more examples? And yes, I concur. <laughs> and yeah, 
know. Yeah. Um, well, one last story before um, let's close this segment on an uplifting note. Um, the second week of the Olympics is wrapping up, and we've had a couple more medalists. Um, the ship sibs got bronze in the ice dancing competition, so congratulations to literally the cutest siblings on the internet right now. They're just lovely. <laughs> They just bring me joy. And, um, and I have, like, my brother that I love dearly. Like, my big brother is one of my best friends. And so it's extra l a t e like, yes, thank you. Yeah. Anyway. The women, Karen Chen and Mirai Nagasu, they didn't really have a good uh, individual competition. But they're still medalists from Team Skate. So that's great as well. And Nathan Chen, um, he had redemption. I don't know if he caught the uh, men's skate. But he had a really rough short program where he fell. Um, but made yeah. it up with, like, the highest score in a um, long program in men's olympic sports so um Dude, he jumped man <laughs> he like went from last to what was it in a, did he end up fifth like fourth i think fourth or fifth fourth yeah fifth i think fifth That, yeah i mean i s an right inspiration the, like if if he had not um fell during the short program he would have been up there for the gold like he would have been in contention yeah. so um good thing but is, i think in general like the whole story with that is like not even just about meddling but i think It, it showed everybody, like, you just need to get back up and go hard again and again. That's, I think, the biggest overarching is, right, if you're not into figure skating, that's cool. That's not what it's about, man. It's about mental fortitude. <laughs> just get up and go. And he was just like, he, he killed it because he didn't care anymore. Yeah. He's like, I don't have anything to lose. <laughs> I think I'm just going to go crazy. I, Balls to the walls. Boom. Which is great. <laughs> Love. And yeah, I think that'll do it for this um, roundtable segment. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to playwright Lauren Yee and actress and friend of collaboration Jane Louie about Cambodian rock band, a new world premiere play coming out at the South Coast Rep uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, we're going to talk about Asian Americans on stage. Jane. Work that on stage. <laughs> This podcast is part of Collaboration, a nonprofit organization supporting Asian Americans in the arts and entertainment. Discovering, developing, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of the AAPI community in North America and beyond. You can learn more about Collaboration and our programs by going to our website at www.collaboration.org. And we got some exciting news for you.、Uh, Collaboration is returning to the South by Southwest Music Festival for our second All Asian American Music Showcase.、Um, it's the only All Asian American Showcase at the South by Southwest Festival, and it's taking place on Thursday, March 15th. At the Tap Room and Market on Colorado Street in Austin, Texas. So, if you're in town for the South by Southwest Music Festival, please stop by. The showcase starts at 8 p.m. and goes till 2 a.m. in the morning. And we have a great lineup of Asian American artists, including singer songwriter Clara,、um, Tim Atlas, and rappers Ji Yamazawa, Uzuhan, who you may remember as last year's Collaboration Star winner, and Ruby Ibarra. Again, Collaboration's All Asian American Music Showcase at South by Southwest is taking place on Thursday, March 15th at the Tap Room and Market in downtown Austin. For those of you in town, we're also having an Asian American meetup on Tuesday, March 13th、um, at the Tap Room again.、Um, please stay tuned to collaboration.org and our socials for more information on how to attend. And welcome back to the Collab Cast.、Um, this is Marvin Yu. I'm here at the South Coast Repertory offices where we're sitting down with the playwright and one of the stars of the upcoming play, Cambodian rock band, Lauren Yi and Jane Louie, friend of Collaboration and the podcast. Hello. Thank、Hi. you for having us. Hey, thanks for、um, inviting me to come 
all the way down to uh i want to say sunny sunny costa mesa but uh it's not really sunny today it's nice <laughs> um but yeah you guys have a play coming out in a few weeks at the um the I can never pronounce this theater. The Sergestrom? Sergestrom? It is, it is technically South Coast Rep, which is, I guess, in the Sergestrom <laughs> okay. Plaza. Um, you know, that they have they have Broadway shows coming through. We are, you know, the scrappy nonprofit um, and, you know, that does world premieres. Like, this is the first time that anyone has seen this production live. And so... You know, there, there's an, there's an exciting element to that. This is not, you know, the King and I for the 400th time. This is the first time that the world gets to see Cambodian rock band. And, uh, and we're so happy to be doing it in Orange County. Awesome. So for our listeners who um, probably haven't heard of this play yet mm-hmm. because it is the world premiere. It's brand new. What is Cambodian rock band about? So it, it is many things. It is, it is a deep dive into Cambodia's lost surf rock scene that you never heard about. In the 60s and 70s, Cambodia was home to an incredible music community where the music, I say it sounds like Jimi Hendrix on top of Jackson 5, that you hear it and you're like, what the heck is this music and why have I never heard about it? It is also a father-daughter story set in the relative present day um, about this Cambodian-American woman who goes to Phnom Penh, Cambodia, for the first time to learn about her herself and her family and what she discovers about her father's past um, is kind of shocking to her you know, both in in positive and negative ways. I think the play asks this question, how well do you know your parents? And and what are those things that, that, you know, they were so invested in before they had kids? And I think that's something that every family can relate to, whether or not they are Cambodian American. Um, Like I am am not Cambodian, my family is Chinese American. And I still think that this is this is something that my family goes through of like, how do you tell the next generation who you were and who you are um, in a way that's that still protects them and, and allows them to thrive. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that we've seen a lot through the new narratives that are coming out, the refugee stories, stories from places where. There's this gap where people just don't talk about it because it's either traumatic or it comes from a place where you kind of you need to forget in order to survive. Um, how did you? Because, um, like you said, you're not Cambodian. How did? Where did this story come from? Was it someone you read about? Someone you know? So uh, about seven or eight years ago, I I was dragged to a music festival in San Diego <laughs> by one of my good friends, um, who said, "I want you to see my favorite band play." And that band was Dengue Fever, who have been around maybe since the early 2000s. They're an L.A.-based band um, that plays a contemporary version of that Cambodian surf rock music. They're fronted by um, Chomni Mall, who uh, was born in Cambodia and and then came over um, to to the United States later on. And she is she's their front woman, and the rest of the band is, I think, a lot of like L.A. local band types. And when I heard their music, it was just this incredible 
you know, like you hear the music and there's something that unlocks in you and something that you can relate to, even if you've never heard this before. And I immediately knew that that was um, kind of the story of that music and all those musicians who who were targeted later by the Khmer Rouge because they were singing Western-style songs. And like that particular story, I was like, that is a play. And I think for a long time, I didn't know how to do it because you want to tell that story in a way that is that celebrates the joy and vitality and just like badass nature of these people rather than being a boring educational like nutritional evening that you want something that that celebrates those artists and so it wasn't until I got commissioned by South Coast Rep that um that I realized that this is actually a play with music that that there are six performers on stage and not only do they tell the story through words, they also become this band and and play kind of this mix of Dengue Fever songs, the new, and a lot of these classic Cambodian oldies. <laughs> um, and so we were very, very lucky to get um, a number of really, not only actors who just miraculously were like, I play bass and I play guitar and I play <laughs> drums. Um, but also we were able to get um, you know, for instance, Jane, yeah, um, to join us, and I and I think, you know, Jane and I met even before there was a part for her in the play. Yeah, we met at a just in New York because mm-hmm. you were curious to know if there were people that yeah I, yeah, <laughs> and and I think what the great pleasure of this has been is that I came in to these workshops having some idea what with uh, what the songs were, but not having idea of like how they were going to be arranged um, and what the sound was exactly going to be like. And so I'm kind of interested, Jane, of like what that experience was like for you. Of uh, being in the band? and Yeah, of like <clears throat> developing the music. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of collaboration listeners might know Jane best as a musician who um, puts together really, really cool YouTube videos um, arranging like a lot of great homemade instruments into beautiful beautiful soundscapes and also the host of a really really cool horror podcast (laughs) people always talk about my um like marv has such a great podcast voice but i i I just want jane i want jane to host this podcast i want to host the podcast um (laughs) so um i think what i don't even know how you found me it was through a mutual friend. I want to say it was this actor, Greg Watanabe, oh, who was, who was oh, like, you should, you should definitely talk to Jane. Okay. So, yeah, so I do a lot of um, uh, covers and mashups on YouTube that sound nothing like what we're playing, obviously. But I think um, it, I, I'm, I'm lucky in that I um, have a lot of tools at home and I am – somewhat of a a chameleon like I can fit myself into different genres which is a blessing and a curse and I've had criticism because of that um but why why well so that's like a different next episode next episode (laughs) so um Jane's also a a former uh collaboration winner so she's you know (laughs) she's real good I'm all right so (laughs) um so going into this I remember the first day like i'm the newest member of the band and um uh the first day coming in 
your your orders were, Lauren, to bring everything. I'm like, oh. Jane has a lot of toys. Okay. It's wonderful. And so it was actually two carloads. Like the first carload, I was like, okay, I'll bring all the djembes, all the, the drums, my marimba, like, like melodica. You want a melodica? I was like, really? We watched videos, did our research on what the bands had. Um, and what kind of sound they were. And it's this, you know, this organ sound. I'm a keyboard. Um, so they have this, you know, raw, dirty, kind of um, slightly overdrive bass and, and guitar sound. And the organ kind of had a had a um, growl to it, which is really cool. So uh, it was just dialing those things in little by little. Um, and it was so much fun because I've never been in a rock band because my own stuff is not rock. Um, it gives me a chance to like to- do totally something else, and it's it's really humbling. And how was it? Is this your first big stage play, or because yeah. I know you've been? No, actually, I saw you in your first big stage play when you were Penny. What I do? Oh, yeah. At the Doctor Horrible sing along the musical. Yeah. Um, so Andy did that one in San Diego, but um, I would I mean this is the uh, uh, this is the most intimidating one. I'll say that like. So the, you hear the three of us right now, but there's a there's a Raymond Lee sitting in the room as well. <laughs> who we're trying who, to keep him a secret. He's who was in the original <laughs> Viet Cong, um at South wow. Coast Rep, and um, like being in the same room with him actually is is actually really <laughs> intimidating. Like I'm watching them act, and I'm my mind is just blown. And like I I was such a big fan of Ray. That when like when I knew that seriously I haven't told you this Ray he's making weird faces right now but um, (laughs) (laughs) he's acting for you right now yeah Yeah. um just watching the the leads do what they do and and making changes especially because we've been doing this we've been working on the script multiple times right so sometimes Mm -hmm. it's it's a challenge uh i would assume to to make those changes because you are used to it so you have to like step away from what you're used to for a second and just watch them work through those landings um constantly um is mind-blowing and i think that's one particular thing about this cast is that there's no fat in the cast like we we are we're so we take care of um, very specific parts of the show individually, um, and it's it's a it's a it's all individually very strong big parts of the show. Um, and when all those pistons are running, uh, it's really really freaking cool. Um, That's awesome! I'm super excited because I actually I, I bought tickets to the show already. I'm coming to the. Um the March, March 10th, 10th episode. Oh, March 10th, I'm showing. That episode. episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's such a great time for, because especially in Southern California, now we have Vietgon, we have Cambodian Rock Band, we have Allegiance coming up soon too that Greg's in. And I'm just really excited about this time where it just feels like there's a lot of like Asian American excellence on stage happening at the same time. Yeah. And last year you had your... Was it also a world premiere of like, King of the Yees? Yes, it was the it was the yeah. world premiere in co-production with the Goodman Theater at Center Theater Group, King of the Yees, <laughs> which is literally the play about me and my father. <laughs> um, and and I, I I agree, it's it's like Asian American excellence. It's I feel like it's it's seeing all these actors be be funny and sexy and talented and virtuosic on instruments. Yeah. Um, like when when was the last time that you you know, saw on stage like an Asian American rock band. 
who who were just like awesome, you know. <laughs> and it wasn't that these actors had to learn instruments for the show. It's that these actors, you know, ha- already had these skills in the bag. But like until somebody writes a part where you need that, they don't get to shine in in that particular you know facet of themselves. So I feel like yeah. I feel really really like fortunate to be able to like take all this amazing talent and be like it was actually here all along, <laughs> um, and just shine a light on that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said about writing specifically for these characters that haven't existed before because mm-hmm. you've had to you know, audition for generic characters. How was Casting for this. That's what I want to know. Like, <laughs> yeah. How did, you, did you have to think about casting while you were writing it? Like, I didn't. I mean, like, I, this became a play with music in the most backward way possible <laughs> that, that I started writing a play about music. Um, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll like play of, you know, an audio track during intermission or something. And then uh, I was doing a very early workshop of it. And I happened to cast all actors who played instruments naturally. Mm-hmm. That uh, Jono, who plays Chum, uh, our guitarist in the show, was like, oh, yeah, I play, like, I have a Gibson at home, I play it. And I was like, oh, we should have them just bring their instruments and see what happens. And and so it is that thing where people hear, like, Asian American rock band, and they're like, that's impossible to cast, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Or, like, they shouldn't play their instruments. And I was like, actually, like, there are, there's just all this talent that I did not even know existed. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think, like, when I, when I was, like, talking to Raymond one time, I was like, oh, like, you know, and do, do you happen to play instruments? And he was like, I play all the instruments. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, and I was just like, we're, we're going we're gonna to put you in the show. It's really awesome to see, like, People like Jane, who we've known for a while um, in this play. You also have um, Abe Kim, who is pretty much like the drummer for every he is, he is Asian in every American band. band. <laughs> he's the best. Yeah. And he's a guy who we've, we've seen on our stage for a long mm-hmm. time, just like putting in work and just, you know, if someone needs a drummer, they call Abe. And now he's in the play. Yeah. yeah. Which is really awesome. And Abe has the Abe sound. Like, mm-hmm. And that's what's great about him, too. It's, he's, not, he's not just just fitting in he, he's got so much sound that he brings along with it like when i hear a track i'm like oh well that's that's abe which is great for the seaclos the band that's in the play so that we have little by little as we practice like bringing our own like spilling our own personalities into the solos the the drum beats and all that yeah so, so how long have you been writing plays was this something you always wanted to do all along i always wanted to be a writer of like some kind like you know when you're really little and people ask you what you want to do and I was like I'm going to be a writer um and it and it seems strange that like basically I've gone through that my entire life and I was like oh yeah like I like that's that's what happened I am um and it was it was in like in high school probably where where I I was like ah theater because I I'm not an actor I'm not I like in high school I wasn't one of those kind of traditional like theater theater geeks that that I found I don't know it's it's like sometimes it's intimidating like if it's a world that say your parents didn't introduce you to and that you didn't grow up in it can be a little intimidating to figure out like how you fit in especially as a writer because when you're young nobody needs a writer they're doing Midsummer Night's Dream um 
But I, I think like once I experienced theater and seeing how something could come to life just around a table, I, I was, I was just so amazed. I was like, I, I wanted, I want to do this more. Um, awesome. So when did you, um, I guess, when did you find out that this was something you could do as a job? Um, let's see. I mean, I, th- I think kind of once, once I got into playwriting in high school and college, I was like, oh, okay. I have like examples of, of how people are doing it. Um, you know, like professionally and, and, and I think like, I guess like every step of the way I was like, oh, I'm getting paid a little more. Like I'm getting, I'm getting a little better every year. Cause I think like <laughs> when you're an artist that, that definition of what success is, it's, it's, it's incredibly, I don't know. I don't know if fungible is the right word, <laughs> but it's like, you're like, am I on the right path? Yeah. What would that even mean? Because it's not necessarily like a numerical thing. And I think for me, um, like success means being able to tackle a project every year that's a little bit harder and a little more exciting and and feel like it's like you're pushing that boulder and you can feel it move, right? Um, and and so like I feel like that's been my path. That's awesome. Um, because we, we also work with a lot of youth that are aspiring creatives. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people struggle with is yeah. – a, like deciding that this is something they can do, they're, mm-hmm. that they're allowed to do, yeah. and B, like figuring out how to do it because there hasn't been, mm-hmm. there's, there are a lot of role models out there, mm-hmm. especially in the creative fields. Yeah. Um, did you have a lot of like mentors show you the way or did you, was this something you had to figure out on your own? I mean, I, I, there, there were definitely people who are further along in their careers who were like very generous and would like <laughs> sit down for a coffee. And it's just like even knowing that like that's something that you can do to be like, oh, you're further along. Can we talk? <laughs> Can, can I buy you coffee? And then, you know, um, and yeah. And, and so there were a lot of people who were generous to me early on in my career. And then, and then I guess like also like the people that you want to be collaborating with and the people that you want to, you know, be amassing are the people who are at the same level as you. Um, like you're not going to be like, okay, Broadway director, like we should really (laughs) collaborate you should be, okay, like, who in my, you know, like, if you're in a theater program, who in my graduating class do I like and respect and really want to work with? Because gradually, you guys will rise up together. And I think those are, you know, some of the most, like, meaningful relationships to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jay? <laughs> I'm curious. Um, about what? What? what is, what's the question? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jane. Um, hey. How does it, so... <clears throat> You can tell us the truth. How is how is it working with Lauren? Oh my gosh, the truth. Okay. Um, so I remember the first time meeting her, I was totally intimidated, and I oh my gosh, I was so excited to meet her um, because she's really good at what she does, but I know nothing about what she does. So I was both just beaming with curiosity and 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 wanted to ask so many questions. I think we had to get together for like an hour, then you had a basketball game to yeah. go to. But, um, uh, and then I, she like asked me for, uh, recommendations and I, and I recommended a bunch of people. Um, and I never like, I was like, oh, I'd love to be a part of Project Bread. You know, it's her, it's her thing. Like, I want her to have the best cast possible. And then when you wrote me in February, you're like, oh, I think I have a way to get you in there. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> like on the inside, I was so excited. How did but, that happen? Did you, did you, um, 
just end up making a role for Jane, or like how did how did Jane go from someone you're talking to mm-hmm. about the play to you're going to be in this play Actually, now? I don't know that either. Um, I mean, like base, basically, uh, you know, it's it's kind of that continuation from okay, it's a play. Now I think it's a play with music or a musical ish piece um, because at first we had four mm. actors who played <laughs> all the instruments, but it's like hard, like. The thing is, when you have music, they can't be in the scene right. and then, like, they can't be acting and then also kind of playing drums <laughs> in the background. Right. Um, so I was like, okay, we need a drummer. And then after I met with Jane, I was like, maybe we get a keyboardist, too. <laughs> yes. And I feel like Jane was that kind of, like, wonderful, like, missing piece that allowed us to do so many more things music-wise um, and storytelling-wise that we would have never been able to do if we kind of stayed five people. Um, I think it's just, I mean, that one extra person just frees up mm-hmm. a lot of space, which is nice yeah. uh, for the for the play to just open up a little. And I yeah. think it really helps to, like, allow the, mus- the music world to be integrated more yeah, into yeah, the yeah. script, that you can have a scene going on, and then there's, like, a little bit of symbols or a little bit of keys in the background. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. So, uh, I mean... Uh, it's, it's I, I, she still does amazing things that I know nothing about. Like she's sitting there giving us edits every day. Like, again, this is my first big stage. I, I consider this my first big stage um, uh, piece. And uh, she's we were in rehearsal, and she, and for the first three weeks of rehearsal, she was her hands were flying on the keyboard every day, giving us edits. Um, uh, and she works so hard and she's marketing it and she's she's the cheerleader and she is like the greatest mom to her actor kids. Like, <laughs> I bring in great so snacks. Sweet. She brings <laughs> snacks. I mean, we, our snack table is crazy That's important. every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So important, right? Very right? Important. Yeah. Um and we are we just feel like we have so much fun together. Uh we go eat together and, and we just get along really well. So mm-hmm. it's really fun. How long do you guys work a day on this? So we've been doing six-hour days, six days a week. Uh, Monday is our Sunday, basically. Um, <laughs> I think we're, we are a week out from tech. Um, and so this coming week, apparently, we are having some full eight-hour days. Long days. Long, long days to just um, really dig in a bit more because yeah. um, we sometimes we get we get through pronunciations like today we had um, Joe's mom come and help us with pronunciations and then fight like choreography that took a good two three hours and then it only leaves us with two three hours to like do a run and then no time to really do music so um, yeah there's a lot going on and I think for everyone as well as Lauren um there's a learning curve to this show mm-hmm. uh, that we're discovering. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say for 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 any play that I've written, this is probably like the most I've ever asked of actors. Because oh. not only are they acting and singing and playing their own instruments, mm-hmm. and then they're also speaking in Khmer, the Cambodian language, um, of which... Nobody is a nobody is a native speaker. Um, Joe, um, whose whose parents are from Cambodia, has like some familiarity. Like he can kind of hear it, but he's also not fluent. So, you know, it's just like all these different layers of things folks have to do, and and so it is is a lot of work. You guys have been holding yeah. up pretty well. 
<laughs> but what's amazing to me, I don't know if, Lauren, you've been getting any personal stories from your mm-hmm. friends or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we go and, and rehearse really, you know, with Che really deeply and quickly and f- with focus, outside of that, when we talk about it with our friends or we do the marketing, like to my Louis Land fan base and stuff, I have people who are telling me their own stories about their parents' survival. And it's mind-blowing to me. Um, and it makes this really meaningful that we, we do have a certain sort of responsibility uh, yeah. to take good, take good care of this story. Like I mentioned before, there's a lot of um, Asian history that just isn't taught right. in history class. Yeah. You know, this just this past um, Monday was the Day of Remembrance for Japanese internment, right. which is still something that a lot of people maybe spend a couple minutes on tops yeah. and or don't know about class. at all. But yet survivors are yeah. just living among us. Yeah. Even these past few weeks, people are learning about Korea because of the Olympics. And there's just so many stories that can be told. Super excited that you know, you're telling one of many stories coming from like the diaspora that yeah. yeah. And I think especially like figuring out it and it's this is not hard, but like centering <laughs> the story on like Asian and Asian American bodies rather than you know, kind of spoon feeding it to an audience of like, oh, you're you're a white American audience. You absolutely need a white American protagonist. <laughs> Otherwise you will have no, you know, reference point for the story, which I which is you know, yeah. totally false. And it's got proven wrong this mm-hmm. past weekend with um, Black Panther having mm-hmm. one white dude that is the sidekick in that story. Mm-hmm. The great thing is like just watching that movie, you can imagine it opened the doors for like the Latino version of that or the Asian American version of that, which, you know, we're seeing in plays like Your Story and also the upcoming Crazy Rich Asians is going to be that for Asians. Yeah. And it's... um. It's an exciting time to be telling these stories because they're starting to be in demand because people are sick of the same old stories told from the same old perspectives. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I fe- and I feel like people are realizing that it can be incredibly lucrative. Like other, other than just being <laughs> like something that is like right, like morally right, it is something that can also make you a ton of money. <laughs> I mean, Shatter Box Office, like it's the fifth highest grossing mm-hmm. like wow. movie opening yeah. of all time. Yeah. Um, right behind like the Star Wars movies. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it... It goes to show that Hollywood is definitely still a little bit racist because of the fact that it shattered expectations so badly. Mm-hmm. Like people were just not giving it mm-hmm. the credit that people mm-hmm. would pay to watch a movie helmed by mostly people of color. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So looking forward to Cambodian rock band the movie. <laughs> that that would be fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um and I'll just be in the back with a keyboard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> and I, th- I, I guess, like, I think one thing that's, like, cool about this project, too, is so, like, I've like I've run into a lot of Dengue Fever fans. Like, I have friends who are like, oh, my God, you know, it's Dengue Fever music. And I've, like, seen them in concert a couple times. And I think it's it is it is not we are not exactly a Dengue Fever cover band in that mm. our instrumentation and our arrangements are different. But I think it's like this wonderful way of being able to appreciate something that you love in a slightly different context and not only being able to enjoy the music that Dengue Fever has created over the years, but also just like getting a little deeper into the story. Like because you get to be like the Uber fan of like, you've heard this music for so many years. What are these songs actually about? Like, where does this music actually come from? Um, so I think for, for Dengue fans, hopefully, um, <laughs> 
you know, it gives it. It's like this enriched experience of being a Dengue Fever fan and knowing more about where that music comes from. Yeah. What do you hope that your audiences walk away with hmm. from your from your play? I I think an appreciation for this incredible soundtrack of music played by, you know, six kick-ass Asian-American rocker <laughs> actors. I think it will hopefully make them a little more curious about that part of Cambodia's history. And, and it will celebrate these artists, uh, many of whom, I think 90% of whom uh, died during the Khmer Rouge. In four years, 90% of Cambodia's musicians died. Because oh. they were targeted, because um, you know they they died of working conditions and starvation, um, but that like so little of that music history remains. Like the the part that we were actually able to see is just like a sliver of what existed. Um, so I would love like a greater curiosity about that music. Yeah, and then I also think, you know, I think this play is about trauma passing through generations and it's about how one generation gives itself to the next generation um and and i would i would love an audience to leave just being a little more curious about you know their own family stories um and and what their parents have yet to tell them Awesome. Well, the play is Cambodian Rock Band. Uh, we've been talking to the playwright, Lauren Yee, and one of the actors, one of the stars. Yes. Uh, Jane Louis. The play is opening March 4th at South Coast Rep. Uh, get your tickets now. Tickets are on sale and they're selling out. We are we are three weeks only, no extensions. So we <laughs> end on the 25th of March and that's it. Yeah. So don't be left out in the cold. This is going to be a hot, hot show. <laughs> Come rock out. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if people want to find out more about um, your work or your thoughts, yeah, where can they go? Um, I was like, LaurenU.com's the website. <laughs> my Twitter handle's not the same as my Instagram handle because there's too what many more. What do you use more? Or? I use Instagram more. I don't. I'm not okay. good at Twitter. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. What's your What's your Instagram? Oh, but it's it's Instagram is Ms. Lauren Yee, so M S L A U R E N Y E E. Awesome. Yeah. And Jane, where can we find your? <laughs> um, so you can actually follow Cambodian Rock Band on Instagram uh, at Cambodian Rock Band, all spelled out. Awesome, you guys got it. Yeah, and <laughs> awesome then you can it. just type my name in there. It is you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with us, and uh, good luck with the show. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Thanks again for listening to the Collabcast. Uh, the Collabcast is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices from our community. If you like the Collabcast, you'll also like some of our other programs, um, including They Call Us Bruce. They Call Us Bruce is another pop culture discussion podcast hosted by the angry Asian man Phil Yu and veteran Asian American journalist Jeff Yang. Check out their latest episode where they talk to Phil's sister, Hannah, who has just come back from vacation in Pyeongchang, Korea, and witnessed the gold medal run of Chloe Kim. You can listen in on their conversation about the Olympics, um, as well as catch the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to the website podcastpotluck.com and checking out our shows. Thanks again for listening to the Collabcast, and uh, let's wrap up the show. 
and welcome back to the collab cast um that was an interview with lauren yi and jane louis from cambodian rock band the play opens on march 4th and as a reminder there are a lot of plays going on right now in southern california featuring asian american actors and playwrights um we have Viet Gone in san diego and allegiance in Los Angeles at the Aratani, which is where we have Collaboration Star. Are you gonna- Can I sidebar about Viet Gone real quick? Yeah. Because, okay, so my acting school, um, shout out to Eddie Hong, um, oh, yeah. who is a dear friend and a great actor. He actually did a scene from Viet Gone for our class. Uh-huh. And I wasn't there, but I heard ripples because Viet talked about it, that it was super, super moving. Um, and Eddie is not, just disclaimer, Eddie is not Vietnamese American or you know, mm-hmm. and he, but he's Korean American, but he played the Vietnamese father and um, <laughs> our classmate, who's also not Vietnamese, but also Asian, he played the son and they did a very powerful scene together. Um, and just apparently people were crying and like that is a, so moved. It's a very powerful scene. Uh, I don't know if you've watched the play yet, uh, Minji. I haven't watched the but, play yet. Uh, it's going to be, uh, I think it's wrapping up its run in San Diego soon, but it's going to be out in the Bay Area soon. So yes. maybe we can maybe I'll just have to there. go up there to go, <laughs> go see it. But it was just okay. So like the feedback, everyone there's space. They did such a great job, which is awesome. And then there's time after the scene for feedback, um, after the critique, and that doesn't happen all the time, y'all. Just letting you know, sometimes a teacher just needs to speak their mind. But if your scene is really really good, then sometimes it gets opened up to the class just being able to like shower you with their praises. And that's why it was like an exceptionally good scene. And then. It's just refreshing to hear, you know, these these stories freaking matter. And that's why I'm imploring to all the writers out there, keep writing, y'all. Because the actors that got to do this, it meant so much to them to play a role that they could relate to. You know what I mean? Even if neither of them are Vietnamese American, they know what it's like to be like an Asian American son, right? I mean, and yeah, that's the thing with um in, in the previous episode of uh, Clubcast Presents, and we talked to Julia Cho, who runs Artists at Play, and she was saying, yeah, you go through all these scene study classes, and you realize there's only maybe one or two parts that are specifically for Asian Americans or Asians. And most of the time, you're just playing white people. And that's like by age. Yeah. You guys, I cannot play Laura from The Glass (laughs) Menagerie. I just can't, okay? Like, it'll be a stretch, but that's like Jared Leto playing the Yakuza guy. It's just not real, okay? It's make-believe. And sometimes there's value in playing make-believe. Sometimes we just want to share our own story. You know what I mean? So, in any case, like, I was really happy to hear that it was so well done, that it was so meaningful, both to the people who got to play the Asian-American characters and also for the people who got to watch and they were everyone was so moved and i think it made at least for those you know 30 something people in that room who are actors and storytellers you know and future writers and directors it gave them perspective it gave them you know humanity from a completely different viewpoint that you never really get to see yeah and that that was like i mean i wasn't there but i could have shed a tear right then and there just hearing about it well i don't know so, if you saw the um news but edward Hongshi is part of a production of Viet Gone now um that's playing early next year in arkansas which is where the play is partially set so congrats shut to up. eddie's going to arkansas yeah so congrats to eddie for landing that role if he's oh my god why did i do this i'm a bad friend if he's playing the dad then he has a really really fun role in the in the play uh because oh um, the gosh, same people played awesome. multiple um characters so congrats, congrats. yeah 
And I guess that'll do it for this episode of the Collabcast. Um, it's a little bit different than the ones we had before, and more changes will be coming. We'll be um, announcing some some big changes to the Collabcast in the coming weeks. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, it's going to coincide with just a lot of changes going with collaboration. Some you might know about, have heard about on the podcast, and some that we haven't announced yet. But uh, thank you so much for listening to us. And we'll be setting up a survey for our listeners to just to get take the temperature on how um, you listen to the podcast, what you listen to, what your favorite segments are, and really help us really um, tweak our podcast to um, bring you what you want as well as as well as improve um, our programming so that we can reach more listeners. Um, so watch over that. We'll probably include that with next week's episode as well. Um, we'll also have that on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So yes, keep an eye out. And we thank you, you guys, all of everyone that's been rating, subscribing, emailing, and verbally and otherwise telling us uh, their feedback and their appreciation. It seriously means the world, the universe to us. So thank you. As always, you can reach Minji, myself, and the podcast by emailing us at podcast at collaboration.org. Um, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us a nice rating and review on iTunes if you have the chance. Um, we always love reading those and it gives us the warm and fuzzy feelings that someone is hearing what we say, what we put out into the, the airwaves. And the power, the <laughs> empowerment. <laughs> um, thanks to Dan, a.k.a. Dan, for use of his song Crazy Rich Asians featuring Bego uh, for this month's intro and outro music. Um, and yeah, that'll do it. Minji, I hope you feel better over the weekend. Have a great weekend, by the way. <laughs> Thank and, you. Uh, don't... I will get better because I need to go see Michael B. Jordan. That's and true. Lupita Nyong'o Ooh. and Chadwick Boseman There's... in Black Panther. You, It's all about Letitia Wright. And you will know what I mean when you see the film. But um... <laughs> I'm ready to fall apart in the best way. To all of our uh, listeners, Wakanda forever. <laughs> we'll see you next time on the podcast. Bye, guys. Let me go down in a glory. What doesn't kill you, it gives you a story. What doesn't kill you, it buys if you friends for the night. You can deal with it all in the morning. They call me Love Costa.